when I think about what is next or the areas that, they, that we could even improve better, Vince, I think that one of them is demanding more from Microsoft. I think they are empowered and we entitle them to ask for more and to ask for help and advice in the way that they go to market. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Menzion, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders in this forum to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Menzion. Welcome to or welcome back to The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and for this episode of the podcast, I was delighted to welcome Microsoft's Vice President of Partner Development, Carlos de Torres. Carlos's organization is responsible for ISV, industry, and private equity for the U.S. business. I work quite a bit with ISVs, and so it was refreshing to spend time with Carlos, who's new to role to get his perspective and point of view on how he hopes to further serve this critical group of partners. In this episode, Carlos and I discuss his business priorities, his view of his role, and how he's applying a servant leader lens to supporting these partners. The importance of partner to partner as a means and vehicle to success, and how the transformation has changed how we work. I particularly enjoyed my time with Carlos. And I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I enjoyed getting to know Carlos de Torres. Carlos, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Beans. Hello, everyone. I'm so delighted to welcome you to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You are Microsoft's Vice President for Partner Development, and I'm excited to welcome you to share with our listeners the important work of your team, how Microsoft cares and co-sells with partners, why partnering is more important now than ever in your personal professional journey. So welcome. Oh, hey, thank you so much. So great to be here with all the audience today. So as you introduced, Carlos de Torres, I am the vice president running all the ISV business for Microsoft in the U.S. And hey, originally from Europe, five years in the U.S., 10 years in the company, and hey, super excited to be here today. Well, The work you do is so important. So I really feel that this discussion is of great value for our listeners. So first, as you might know, I came from a leadership role, first within Microsoft, running partner for public sector, and then in a role with a large ISV. And the work that I got to do was so closely aligned to your organization. But for our listeners and partners that might not know the function and mission of that organization you lead, can you share a little bit more detail with them? Absolutely. Well, first of all, Vince, it will be great because uh, you coming from one of my partners, you will be able to hold me accountable even more. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so let me share with you. Try to imagine in one second kind of a matrix. And on one dimension, we have the partner life cycle from the recruit, from all the build uh, with us, all the application services solutions, and then having a final state that is going to market together and being able to co-sell. So on one side of the of the matrix, imagine all that partner life cycle. And then on the other axis, in the vertical, if you want, imagine all the different kind of partners that I work with. We can go from global ISVs, so the really big partners that you know really well, and what we call the big ISVs, the big software companies that work with Microsoft. But I also work with all the new small partners that we are onboarding into the Microsoft ecosystem. Also what we call the cross-industry, which is general partners that are developing solutions that they are not customized for any specific industry. And then I manage to a set of different teams which are in charge of the different industry vertical solutions. For example, healthcare, manufacturing, or retail, or education, or state and local government, and so far and so on. And then the last part is that I'm also responsible of managing a team that runs the engagement of most of many of the most important private capital entities, both private equity and venture capital. So trying to identify those portfolio companies in the private capital entities that can embrace the Microsoft technology and work with us. 
So I will tell you a pretty a pretty wide spectrum, but the best way of thinking about it is the matrix. Partner life cycle in one dimension and all the different subcategories of ISVs in the other one. That's quite a broad spectrum of responsibilities. What does success look like at the end of the day? Well, I think that success is, is trying to have as many active and relevant partners that are working with the Microsoft technology and are embracing our technology and opportunities of working together. So success, of course, have, at the end of the day, I, I have a, a revenue line that I need to hit. I need to keep control of certain costs of go-to-market and, and, and keeping my team. But the most important is the common success. I think you want to talk sometime later about the real partnering. And one of the reasons because I'm so excited of this conversation with you is because you are a really big figure in the partnering IT in the U.S. And that is exactly what success looks like to me. It is being able to collaborate together, to grow our business together, and to be that partner and that technology partner that we can help to grow your company, find new opportunities, develop new solutions, and being able to have a common growth. As you will realize, I'm a really big believer in the way that we can partner together in the system. And probably that is one of the reasons because I work for Microsoft. You know, development is in your title, right? And, you know, the fact that Microsoft, right, we talked about you, you work for Microsoft. I've always said this, I feel intuitively Microsoft gets partner better than any other organization. How does the work of your team differ from the other hyperscalers that support partners on their platforms? Well, I think that... That is a really good question. And Vince, I truly think that the first difference is about all the history background and all the real belief of having partners in our DNA. Working with partners is not new in Microsoft. You know, in fact, probably our business has started working in the OEM business, leveraging partners. So more than 30, more than 40 years of our business history has been related to partners, and it has always been there. At the same time, we continue having that hunger for new opportunities. So we are continually looking for the new things that we can do. So we are not confident. We are not stable. We are not uh, relaxed because we have a 40-year history. We continue having the spark, the hunger, the desire to evolution our partner ecosystem and our partner channel to face the new technologies. Second thing, as I told you, when, when we were thinking about um, the partner life cycle in that kind of matrix describing my role, I think that we really have a vision of the partner life cycle end-to-end. I'm not only worried about recruiting. I'm not only worried about building with the partners new solutions that can leverage the network and the cloud technologies to be able to be more effective in front of the end customer. I'm also a big believer that we have to be able to co-sell together, sharing leads between us, sharing opportunities, trying to grow our business. I think that one of the ways that uh, when you work with us as a partner is that we are really want to be taking care of you end to end. I'm worried and I'm interested of knowing about my partner's profitability. I'm not only interested in having my own profitability in Microsoft. I want to understand that we are succeeding together and we're able to grow and tackle the market opportunities together. So one of the big differences that I, that I carry is number one, yes, is legacy, but legacy combined with an incredibly huge hunger of desire of progressing and growing new partners. The second thing is, yes, helping our partners end-to-end. This is not about generating revenue. This is not about selling through you. This is about growing your company and growing you as a partner. So if you are successful, we are successful. And that is absolutely integrated in the DNA of everybody in Microsoft who work in the partner channel. And I can tell you, that is our, our, our motto, that is our way of behaving and our way of trying to grow this market. So Carlos, I love what you had to say here. I intuitively get it, right? You are working end-to-end with these partners. You're taking earlier stage partners into your organization. I see you doing that more aggressively now, more than ever. You are also taking a look at your partner's business more succinctly. And I know personally firsthand that your teams are very concerned with how your partners grow their business with Microsoft and with other partners. And we're going to talk about partner to partner here in a moment. And then also landing partners in industry and then working with private equity. I see this as a very holistic approach to solving for the problem that needs to be solved for. You know, I've had some of your peers on and we talked about, you mentioned co-selling. So Lonnie Phillips has, you have the partner development function. She has 
the co-selling function, but they're inextricably linked. In particular, I'd like to discuss with you, like, what does success look like? Like, what makes a great partner when you're working with them on the business development side and then the co-selling side? Can you tell our listeners what you believe part- the partners that succeed working with your team do differently or better? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I, I love Lani. We work like two in a box and, and I have learned so much from her in, in the eighth or nine months that I have been in this role. So, so always happy to partner with her and to work together in, uh, with our partner ecosystem. But let me tell you, for me, it is a pretty straightforward answer. So the, the, the great partner for us is uh, someone that is embracing the technology. You know, Vince, this thing changes continuously and changes really quickly. And the moment that we are not having really new solutions, we are having a full vertical cloud that we can work with an industry. And if not, we are having a set of new developments that we can bring into the partner, into the customers immediately. And I know we will talk later about partner to partner, what we call P2P. But the first thing that I, I consider to be a great partner is the one that embraces our technology. Second one probably should be how a partner is sharing with us their view, their strategy, their go-to-market, their approach to business. What is the main mission? What is the main KPIs? Which are the main things that we can help them? And where is that company going to? And then, of course, as I told you, I'm a big fan of having direct conversations with my partners about profitability. This is not about me having sales through them and having incremental revenue. That is great, but it is much greater when you have the conversation about the real profitability of the partner. Are they really making a good business? Are they really targeting the right opportunities in this market to try to grow even faster? Are there solutions specific? They have intellectual property. They have something special that we can bring to market together. And of course, the last thing is that I think that a good partner needs to push me back. Vince, I need the feedback. I need to grow. I need to understand really well how I can have those thousands of thousands of eyes and ears in the market to give me the feedback and to help me grow and improve. I'm really concerned if a partner is only listening to what I say and trying to follow between quotes my orders. I want to get the feedback. I want to understand the things that we in Microsoft we are not doing correctly or how we, can, we do have to steer our big boat in order to get the best profit of all the opportunities in the market. So that dialogue and that bi-directional dialogue is key to me. So embracing technology, sharing all the strategy and the future view, talking about profitability, and of course, giving each other the feedback and trying to grow together. Is that a, a good enough description, Vince? I think you said it very well. In fact, what I thought I heard loud and clear was empathy, right? I, and, and you know, having been on the inside and then on the outside, a lot of times partners struggle because Microsoft has a, a scorecard. We all know this. And partners are somewhat, sometimes they're even put in a box, but they're told, you know, you need to help me drive my scorecard. I think what I'm hearing you say is, I want to help you grow your business. I want to help you be profitable. Like that's a great and empathetic approach that I candidly find very refreshing right now. <laughs> I love that. I love the approach you're, that you are bringing to the business. And we're going to talk about your journey and your leadership roles, but it's so refreshing to have you in this role, Carlos. So we've both been living, we've all been living in this time of rapid change, like a time we've never expected. I mean, you know, we're working remotely and it's a year now. It's almost a year. My last flight was March 1st of uh, 2020. And when we're going to be releasing this podcast, it'll be a year. We're living through these seismic shifts. So much more change is ahead of us, right? We've seen this transformation. Satya has described it as multiple years and multiple months. What are you seeing now during this change that you didn't expect to see? Well, first of all, uh, you have my, my full recognition of about these times and the decadaptability that we needed to do. And you're right, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. Empathy is key at this time for being able to adapt yourself. Let me share with, with you and the audience uh, 10 seconds of my own experience. Uh, Vince, yeah, my flight was the same like you. I think it was Friday, March the 6th. It was when I came home, and I never jumped in a plane again uh, since then. But uh, let me share with you. I, I started this role in the mid of April. So can you imagine? I've been working from home all this time. I have not met face-to-face -face any of my team members 
across the country. I have met already with, uh, I think, you know, some people in my staff keep the count. I think I have met already in this almost one year with almost 200 partners in different video conference and meetings and all kind of business reviews, planning, strategy, recruit, etc. And I can tell you, you can succeed, you can make it, but it is absolutely different to what we're used to do. Remember those those big uh, Vegas conference that we used to have where you are meeting face-to-face and you are having breakfast or lunch or a business meeting or a quick intro between the different sessions? We were able to make the same thing in a completely different environment. And you know what? We, we can get some credit because of the tools and because of the, of the resources we provided. But for me, super important how I saw all our partners being able to thrive, being able to progress, being able to adapt, and being able to grow even in these times of change, and having that immediate reaction about how to make business in this situation. And for the future, oh, you're absolutely right. Vince, honestly, many things we don't know. I can tell you that if you and me are talking one year and a half ago, and I tell you I will be running all your business remotely from home without any business travel and without any face-to-face meeting, you shouldn't believe it. So this kind of acceleration has changed completely the way that we work, the way that we work with our partners, and the way that our customers work. And honestly, I think in many things, this is here to stay. And there is going to be a big change on the way that we work and collaborate and the way that we are even more effective in this time. So you're right. I see that change and I, I listen to Satya and, and, and I love it. Yeah, we are living, you know, this is, this is like a, a few months have become years of progress because things are much more accelerated. You know, these cases, they are, they are not, uh, they are not confidential. Many of our top customers that were in a multi-year digital transformation journey, they accelerated things and they made it in less than eight weeks, 10 weeks, three months. That is incredible. This has been a big issue for humanity. This has been a really bad news and a disaster for many things in humanity, but at the same time has pushed all of us to make a huge transformation and a big leap forward in the way that we work, in the way that we socialize, and in the way that we produce. So I'm, I'm super proud about, about it, the humankind in, in the way that we have been able to adapt and we have been able to grow and we have been able to evolution almost immediately. Remember when we were reading in the, in the textbooks when we were kids, how the humankind was able to evolution during the Ice Age, for example? Honestly, this is not comparable, but this is something that you and me have seen, the big transformation in the way that we work in barely a few months. Yeah. Isn't it exciting? It is exciting. I have to say, it's astounding. I believe, and I've said this many times, I believe we are on the precipice. And it, you know, this has been a very tough time. A lot of deaths from COVID. You know, we've seen a, a K-shaped recovery in many areas. We in the tech sector have benefited in many ways, but we're leading a transformation of how people live, work, go to school, everything. And it's all been driven by this digital transformation. I believe we are at a precipice of a renaissance, honestly. I believe that we are going to come out of this time. I'm very optimistic we're going to come out of this time better than before. We've learned to utilize. We've, we've all had to be resilient, right? As you said. Were you? It's amazing to me that you've not met your team. I would love to ask you about how do you establish relationship and intimacy when you haven't actually been in the room or shared a meal or a beverage with the people on your team. How do you do that? Well, you, you, need, you need to develop a huge empathy and you need to have really meaningful conversations and you need to be really mindful of, of the time that you have together and then, uh, you know, sometimes ask for permission to be direct, to be clear and to build that connection really quickly because you don't have any other alternative and you can tell, hey, we can be, we can be having a more superficial conversation on a pure business, but if we really want to know each other, and we really want to work together, and we really want to set up a team, then we need to start building that bonding really quickly. And sometimes it is it is a two-way road. You need to have that permission. You need to be able to do it yourself, but you need to have the person at the other side of the line willing to do it too. And the big surprise for me is that is that I will tell you that almost everybody, both in my team and also in my partners and in my customers, are willing to have that situation because all of us are in the same situation and everybody is willing to establish the relationship and to try to move forward. So 
So I can tell you it has been challenging, as you know, and, and you know really well. You work uh, very intensely for quite a few hours, and then that kind of break uh, or, you know, downtime is uh, the blurry lines between rest and work. It is a little bit more blurry than ever because you are always available. And, you know, your computer that has, that has the, 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 the ring sound of any voice call or video call, it is a few yards away from, <laughs> from your living room or from where you are. So you can jump in almost any time. But it is so, a big learning and the progress is outstanding. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about this too, because we, you know, I've been saying all along, I've been saying certainly for a period of time working with Microsoft and partners that people are just fatigued, they're overwhelmed because we're constantly on these Zoom and team calls. What are you doing for your own mindfulness and that of your team right now? Is there any, any prescription that you can give to our listeners? Something like a few months ago, we tried to build some kind of, uh, together with the team, it was not an order, we tried to build some kind of rules of engagement internal in, the, in my team and, and setting up really clear and well-defined um, rest times and when you are off and when you are not working and defining and trying to have the real, I know it is always a, a term that I don't love, that kind of work-life balance that you need to be very clear and define it. All of us, and, and in my case, uh, Vince, and, and sharing with the audience, I'm married and, and I have two boys, two teenagers. There are moments that you need to define what is the time that you need to be helpful in the house for my wife, for my kids, for myself. And you need to define what is the way of keeping your mind alive and being helpful in your house. So always talk and imagine, imagine in my case, they are teenagers. Imagine when we are having some of my peers or my colleagues that are having little babies that have not been able to go to a school for quite some time. And then you need to, to have that kind of permission and that kind of attitude of telling, hey, I need to be off one hour between 3 and 4 p.m. Or I need to stop for lunch between noon and 1 p.m. So the first thing that we find was clarity. And then the second thing, of course, we are super privileged of working in Microsoft and we have a really good set of benefits and help provided by the company. We're even given up to 12 weeks of, of leave in order if we needed to attend the personal necessities during COVID. So we have been given extra benefits and help and support from the company, but most of it, it is the common sense of the people managers and the team managers in the company trying to adapt each of the situations of each employee, family situation, personal situation, and even mindfulness. In my case, it is pretty easy being, I, I try to go at least uh, twice a day for a walk and get some fresh air. I try to work out a little bit and to make some sport, even if it is going running with my kids or with our dog or doing something to keep me healthy. And then at the same time, also dedicate time to other things. You know, some of your hobbies, your passion, something that you can do at home. And in my case, normally something that you're working with your hands, something that is not only mentally, something that will keep you busy in other kind of discipline. So I will tell you the great, great news being and sharing a little bit of uh, privacy with the audience is that my cholesterol level went down dramatically. I've been eating healthy in my house for almost one year. No longer restaurant meals with customers or having lonely dinners in a hotel. So the great benefit of this is that my cholesterol is lower than ever. You know, it's it's so true what you had to say. And by the way, it was great advice for our listeners and and leaders in business should follow some advice and some of your suggestions here because I do think it's important to allow people grace. Right? I think I think a lot of us have learned like with it's okay that the kids are in the room, the dog is barking. The interruptions, we the things that we wouldn't have put up with, we put up with very uh, succinctly now during this time. Some really great advice there. And then also just, you know, applying healthy habits, right? I think, I mean, I'll share this. I think in the beginning, I was uh, ready to pick up a glass of wine every night. And now I'm in a much more healthy place because I need to be. And I think we're all following. We can use this time to help ourselves and to help each other. Yeah. So... A key area of your fo of focus, we talked a little bit about this uh, we, where we referenced it, was partner to partner. It's a key area of focus for you and your team. Not everybody understands what that term is. And in full disclosure, I have worked with your team to coach partners on their journey. A lot of, uh, a lot of the large ISVs, even midsize and smaller ISVs, need help in terms of how they build out their own partner ecosystems. But for our listeners, can you share what 
partner to partner or P2P is and why it's so important to the ultimate of success of partners that work with Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, love it. And, and thank you for the opportunity of being here. So first of all, partner to partner is, is the acronym from, uh, or P2P is the acronym for partner to partner. Let me tell you a, a quick intro and we'll make it really easy to understand for, for everybody. The first reality is a question of a scale. The understanding that ISVs are mainly software companies, that they are selling their solutions and products into the market. In the U.S., according to the last resource and, and studies and research, we have almost 170,000 of them, which is huge. It is a big ecosystem of companies of all size, multi-billion dollar revenue to the small software solution local that it is a small startup and it is barely one or two employees and it's almost starting from zero. So all that ecosystem is meant to be collaborating with Microsoft and is meant to be the potential of becoming one of our partners. Then in that level of scale, of course, we have some limits. I don't have enough PDMs, partner development managers, to be able to attend properly 160,000. Even the call centers that we have, they don't have the capacity to attend everybody at the level that we have. So sometimes one of the way of scaling and helping the partners to develop and grow is to connecting those partners between each other. Because many times the partners can help each other generating new revenue or new business together, sharing the solutions, selling into each other, or having that long ecosystem. Between you and me, when you have a really long tail of partners, you can also have that potential of having them collaborate and going to market together or providing solution to each other. And also some of our big solution partners, the global ISVs that we call, have those smaller companies, software companies between the customer base. So one of our keys is to leverage our potential, managing a huge partner ecosystem to try to foster relationships made and collaborate with each other and not only selling together with the Microsoft sales forces, also selling together between them and going after some of the other markets that we don't attend directly or some of the other opportunities that they can be even more agile and provide a solution faster than us. So we are always facilitating the relationship between partners, giving them the right ecosystem, the right billing systems, the right uh, technical environment so they can collaborate and build solutions and trying to develop those joint solutions. It is a program that we created in Microsoft barely two years ago, and we are still taking off. But that is a good opportunity for us, for interconnected partners of all disciplines and all sizes. You know, you bring up some really good points here around, first of all, the scale of partners is incredible. If I was an account executive, I would be so so overwhelmed with all these partners that think I'm the only one that can help them. And, you know, I had Jay McBain on from Forrester just a few weeks ago. He's sort of an expert in the channel. What he talked about is the five influencers sitting at the table. And what I gather from this too is partners really need to build their own set of influencers. And what you're helping them through P2P is to have those other relationships, those complementary software relationships, those resale relationships, those influencer relationships and you talked about this earlier, how can I help you grow your business? That helped them grow their business. Absolutely true. And I think that uh, the era of uh, having a partner only working together for uh, growing your own revenue is over. It is the time to having that relationship with the partner, being involved in their business, in their profitability, and trying to help them to be where the market is going. And especially when we are in such an accelerated time like we are now, partners need help to be able to embrace all these changes and to redirect their company as soon as they can. I fully agree with that, Vince. So what would you encourage your partners to do now better or differently than what they've done in the past? Well, first of all, I, my first feeling when I think about my partners is, is to be grateful and is to be, to be really appreciated of everything we are doing together at this time. The growth of the business and the things that we are doing together is simply outstanding. When I think about what is next or the areas that that we could even improve better, Vince, I think that one of them is demanding more from Microsoft. I think they are empowered and we entitle them to ask for more and to ask for help and advice in the way that they go to market, to demand that we go and we co-sell together that they are able to ask us about 
how we can help them building new technologies and embracing our technical expertise to provide resources, people, funding, you know, sandbox, uh, uh, test environments, etc., where we can try to give them the right level of solutions so they can grow faster. So the first thing is that I am incredibly grateful. My second piece of advice or request is that they feel free to push me, my team, and push Microsoft to continue and growing more. We are growing incredibly well. And you saw how we communicated results about the last quarter a few days ago. But believe me, I think we can do even better with our partners. And they have to continue pushing us. And the last one is let's go together after any opportunity that we have in front. And if you are not in the partner ecosystem at this time or you are not being attended, raise your hand. Contact me. Contact anybody in my team to tell, hey, I'm in a small company based in whatever state in the U.S. trying to develop this solution to go into the market. I need help from you. And we are there for our partners and we are there willing to collaborate. So everything that I can ask is, first of all, I'm grateful. Second thing, push me more. Third thing, if you are not in my radar, Mr. Partner, call me, text me, IM me, find a way of contacting me through LinkedIn, any process, and we will start taking care of you. I love those three points. I especially like the fact that partners need to push a little harder. I think partners tend to take the status quo and maybe don't I say, are not as aggressive, aggressive in a good way, working with Microsoft. I love what you had to say around those three points, Carlos. So Carlos, I'd like to pivot for a moment, if you don't mind. You might know, I'm fascinated by the personal and professional journey of each of my guests. And I'm a student of high performance, and I love to share the journey and how you got to this particular spot in your life with our listeners. So if you don't mind, would you share with us a little bit about that journey to Vice President of U.S. Partner Development at Microsoft. <laughs> wow. The, uh, the journey is still on, Vin. So, so just to take a look back, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, I've been uh, 10 years in the company. Uh, 10 years, this is my, my fourth country and my fifth role in, in those 10 years. So, so we have been moving quite a lot. And honestly, I'm super grateful personally because all the opportunities have been given by the company to grow and develop. As I told my team, I'm, I'm not an expert in ISVs. The same way that I was not an expert on devices when I, when I had my prior role for North America, what I try to be good at is to building, and you mentioned it in your question, those high-performance teams, building the communication, the empathy, the logic about how to create a team that can collaborate together and be really, really high performance and with a high level of productivity. Then, of course, you embrace the technology and all the specifics of each role, and you need to learn and study. But in my case, the journey has always been a development journey, trying to learn new things, trying to make myself useful for the company every time. Every time I had a conversation with our top senior leaders, I, I tell them, and I really believe in things. I'm a company asset. I am willing to help. I am willing to collaborate. So these are my capabilities where I can be more useful. What kind of business? What do you need me? You need me to take something that is growing at 50% and make it grow at 70%? Or you make me or you need me to, to get something that it is declining and bringing it back to growth? Or you need me to optimize and then try to grow or try to, to make more better performance, that organization? So my journey has always been different roles and positions in different geographies. And honestly, I'm super privileged of working in a company like Microsoft that gave me that opportunity. But yeah, in the journey, just for curiosity, I, I started working in, in Microsoft in Madrid, in Spain, where I am from, and then has been moving in different roles and, and lived some time in London in the UK, more than three years in Toronto, in Canada and the last five and a half in, in Seattle, in the U.S., where, where I came in, in 2015. So, yeah, it has been quite a journey, Vince, I, I got to tell you. It sounds like a great journey. And, you know, you, talk, you touched on a mindset, and, you know, you talked about asking, where can I help? Where did, where did you get that mindset? Was there a specific point in your life or your career that led you that way, or have you, was that instilled in you from an uh -huh. early age? That is... <laughs> That is a good question. And honestly, when, when we spoke, I never shared with you. So the, the interesting thing to me is that uh, 
when I was a teenager in in, in the early nineties, uh, you know, my father. I think we we commented in the in the intro. My father is still alive. He's ninety two now. And the interesting thing is that my father gave me a leadership book. Can you imagine, Vince, a leadership wow. book in 1990? <laughs> Probably there. there weren't very many of them back then. That's amazing. Okay, so, so <laughs> that was, was written by, by James C. Hunter, and it was called The Servant Leadership. And honestly with you, it was kind of a weird, weird gift when you are 17 and your father comes to you and your Christmas present is a leadership book when you are in yeah. high school. But uh, you know, he he made um he made the same the same present to all my brothers and sisters. And you know, I read it, and it is a very ways completely actual and completely active. It is a pretty light read, and and I will tell you, I impacted me because I realized that for becoming for becoming a good leader, the first thing that you need to ask and you need to think is how you are serving the community and how you are serving the people you are working with. And sometimes it's not about you and your growth and your development. It's how you can help others and use your privileged position to help others to grow. So honestly, some of the origins of those values, and, and, and I always had it present, it came from that a 17-year-old kid getting a, a book as a Christmas gift from, from your father and, and reading it because, you know what, I thought, okay, I'm going to read this. It must be interesting. I think that since then, probably I have, I have made it a gift. I don't know, a few hundreds of those books to many of my teams and, and trying to share with them what I learned over there. But that is the region, Vince, to be fully transparent with you. That's amazing. So it's The Servant Leadership by James C. Hunter. We're going to put a link to that book in our show notes. And we didn't even know about this when we started the conversation. But I love to hear about great books that you've gifted to others. And I'd love to share that information with our listeners. So that's terrific. So Carlos... We talked a little bit about this journey, but you know, I want to come back to the fact that work brought you to the United States. You know, we've talked with other guests on this podcast about overcoming barriers that they needed to overcome coming to the United States or just being from a certain race or classified group. What did you need to overcome as a Latin male in what was and still is a white male-dominated industry? Well, for me it was a big learning and then um... Honestly, because when, when you grow up in, in, in your country, uh, of course, you are never or, or you are not that frequently a minority in many cases because you are used to the environment. Before going to the, to the Latin and Hispanic uh, approach, things, you know, the big transformation is how you have to embrace a new culture, a new way of being, a new society, a new way of working. So, of course, the, the, the first challenge and believe me, five years in the U.S. and, and almost nine in North America, uh, language is still a challenge. You know, and, and thank you for, for, <laughs> for not telling me. I have quite an accent, and I know it. And, you know, doesn't matter how hard you try, you always have an accent. And, and the language is always a challenge. That is the first one. The second one is the way that we make business is different in each country. The way that you communicate is different in each country. The way that you have relationships and all the cultural background that you have is different in each country. And that is something that uh, you can use different approaches when you, when you come to a, new, to a new society or to a new area that you can try to, you know, to work and live mainly with the people from your own culture or you can try to embrace the situation and learn. Me and my family, we, we went uh, to the second option. We went to the way of completely embracing, and you know, our friends in the U.S. are, are most of them local, and honestly, we embrace all the culture and all the activities and everything that you do. Also, being Latin, I can tell you that the first thing, language is an issue because I continue uh, speaking Spanish at home because I, I want my kids to keep the second language and to keep it alive. So that is one of the few ways is speaking that language in, in our household. But one of the other things is uh, that you need to learn and to understand which are all the cultural differences. And yes, you are right, but I'm, I'm super privileged in this case too, Vince, where Microsoft has made a huge effort in both diversity and inclusion. The way that we have embraced different cultures and the way that we have been pushing ourselves to try to forget all those unconscious bias that we have every time that you speak. 
and every time you establish a new relationship. So of course has been challenging. Of course you sometimes get that kind of pushback when you are told, okay, why why do you need to have a vice president in the US which is not from the US? Why we are having those situations that unfortunately we read in the news and we watch on TV and we are living all those situations in the country. So I can tell you, I feel really privileged about how Microsoft has stepped up and has given us the room to be ourselves. Each of us, doesn't matter your identity on gender, ethnicity, religion, etc., but also giving you the opportunity to be yourself and to bring the best of yourself every day to the company. So between you and me, Vince, has been a journey in this case too. It's a learning. I'm learning a lot about the American culture during these years and all the background on the past. But in my personal case, it's been challenging, mainly because I told you, the way that you speak, the way that you take decisions, the way that you establish some relationships in the business environment is slightly different. And you need to adapt and you need to be vocal and share with it and tell, you know what, this is the way that I do things and be very clear with everybody about what is the expectation and the way that you operate. I've never had any kind of big problem, situation, or drama beings. I'm incredibly grateful for the level of education in this country that I have seen all across the board. But at the same time, I fully acknowledge and understand that those differences are there and are real. My personal attitude, embrace them and use them to make a positive impact. I it is that. great that you and me are potentially very different in many things. Not because we disagree, no, because then we have a much more wider spectrum of opinions and perceptions about the same problems. And if you and me are able to share in an educated, in a polite way and constructive way, then that allyship, it is incredibly powerful. So I don't know, Vince, that is a little bit of my take to, to my, my only five years of experience here. I love that perspective that you've shared. I really do. And I'm just wondering if there was any, was there a mentor or a piece of advice that you got along the way from maybe, maybe from the first move from Madrid to, I know you did UK and then Toronto and then the United States. Was there any great piece of advice or mentor that took you under your wing? Or was this also something that maybe was ingrained in you from an early age? Well, I, I, will, I will share with you a couple of them, really practical, okay, that, that I was given in the company and, and, and in the personal life. So uh, the first learning for me is that uh, you got to embrace the culture. You got to go there and, and, you know, try to gain their respect, not because you are the new GM, the new VP or the new corporate VP in the company over there. You got to gain the respect because you understand the local perspective and you understand all the local situations and you are a breeze of, of fresh air, and you are helping to understand new ways of making the business. The second one, I apply, I apply my principle that I told you a few minutes ago. You're, you're helping. Have a helping attitude. Be a real servant and tell in every conversation, hey, is there anything I can do for helping you? And be real and be authentic and trying to help them. And then, of course, uh, one very simple piece of advice that my first corporate VP, when I relocated, gave me is that, Hey, Carlos, my advice is that always decide if you are changing countries or you are changing roles, but never, ever in your life change both things at the same time. So if you're mm -hmm. coming from a specific business in the partner ecosystem, try to make the same business in another country. But uh, one good advice was try never to change your role and the country, culture, local that you are working on at the same time, because that will be pretty difficult. So those were my, my two learnings, Vince, in, in those few relocations. And I tried to honor and follow them because it helped me to, to make my life a little bit easier. Yeah, it sounds like great advice. And I'm going to pivot here for a second because I also know, I want to have a little fun with you because I know that you have a love for fast cars. And I thought it'd be kind of fun for you to share a little bit about this hobby that you have. <laughs> well, <laughs> I love all cars, okay? I love fast, but I love all of, all of them. <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> I think it comes from when I was a little kid. You know, when, when I was really young, I think that everybody, both uh, my parents and, and, and my godfather and my godmother and family, always giving me these small toy cars. You know, something like these Hot Wheels that, that my kids used to have uh, a few years later. But the funny thing is that in my time, they used to be model of existing cars. So no fantasy cars. It was model. So I have a huge collection, probably more than two or 300. So wow. cars were always on, on my life. Then uh, I was lucky because I, I learned to drive when I was 10. 
Okay, so I, I learned how to drive in a close environment, in a circuit, of course, but I learned to drive when I was 10. So I always love, love cars. And then between you and me, I, I am super lucky too, because my wife is a big car lover. So to have some fun, uh, Vince, uh, I've been married almost 22 years. And a few months ago, we just bought our 39th car in 22 years. 39th car. 39th car in 22 <laughs> years. Okay, so. Wow. You are lucky that you have a wife that lets you do that. <laughs> I don't know if it is a hobby or it is becoming an illness. I don't know really well which one of the two things. But no, I love them and, and I love to work in them. And I love to enjoy them and, and make some modifications or simply tune them up. And, and, and it is fun because both my kids have the same passion. And, you know, we have a little bit of a, of a workbench in our garage. And every time I go there, they are, they are trying to look around things. So, yeah, I'm a little bit of a fanatic on, on these things. And, and, you know, all experience, driving, tuning, repairing, and buying and selling. So, so it is a kind of a 360-degree problem. That is cool. What, do you have a favorite uh, make and model? I love German cars. They are, they are great and of those ages. But uh, I will not surprise you that, uh, that one of the, of the top cars in my, in my scale is, is a Porsche 911. It is one of the nice. cars that uh, it is not comfortable necessarily. It is not perfect, but it is, it is the ultimate driving machine for me. Yeah, it's a beautiful vehicle as well. Yes, sir. Beautiful design. So I am very interested in what you would do if you were hosting a dinner party. And we can discuss venues in a moment. And hopefully this is at a point when, you know, we all can get together maybe without masks or social distancing. <laughs> but, if, but if you could invite any three guests from the present or the past to attend this dinner party, whom would you invite and why? Wow. you. <laughs> You got me off guard on this one. So, well, first of all, I, I think I don't need a, I don't need one. I need a full week. I need a full series. <laughs> okay, so, I don't know if I can make it in one and only with three. But uh, you know, th thinking loud, I, as I, we mentioned a few minutes ago, I would love to have um, the perspective of uh, of uh, you know the the spiritual side of life. So I would love to get some feedback and insights from um, from some of the spiritual leaders in, in this country or in, in the general culture. Probably my, my, my first pick, and I will give you two options probably for each seat, because I don't know if we will be able to make a coordination agenda for everybody in the same night, but I will give you two options of each seat. So the first one probably should be, uh, I would love to, to, to meet and listen to uh, MLK Jr., Martin Luther King, or in, the same, or in the same frequency, if you want to tell it that way. I would love to, to have the Pope, uh, John Paul II, I, I grew up listening to him, and at a personal level, I'm, I'm Catholic. And, you know, I, I think it was one of those leaders that, uh, that had a very different approach. And he made his sound a small revolution in the way, in the way of thinking of the Catholic Church uh, more than 20 years ago. So, so those should be probably my first seats should be uh, MLK or John Paul II, or hopefully both, both of them. Um, second seat, um, Vince, I would love to have someone in the creativity space. I love, I truly think and love that doesn't matter how good you are on business or in science or in technology, you need to have your creative side. And you know, the, the, the more experience I get, the more I respect the artist. Everybody that is able to dedicate their life to, to generate art and creativity, it is something that I truly respect. So probably if I should go over there, I should think about, uh, I don't know, Leonardo, or even, you know, some, some of the of the big figures that make uh, big progress in very challenging times. Uh, for example, Marie Curie, probably one of the first scientific women that make a huge progress in our science in a completely challenging times. That should be awesome. And, um, and the third one is easy. Dean. I would love to invite for dinner to my mother. Uh, she passed uh, almost 15 years ago. And, and you know, I, I, I could never share many of the things that I made as an adult with her. And I would love to have her with us that night. And by the way, she should enjoy the conversation with the Pope of MLK, of Marie Curie, or Leonardo. She would enjoy the conversation too. So those should be my three picks. That sounds like a great dinner. I think you should just have them all. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with more guests. I'm an abundance mentality type of person, being of Italian descent. You know, I think about big meals and lots of people having fun together. So oh, this yeah. is a great dinner, Carlos. And thank you for sharing that. And 
You know, you have been an amazing guest. I have so enjoyed our conversation today. I am so enthusiastic about what you're doing and what you're bringing to this organization. Do you have any closing comments or advice for our listeners on how they can continue success working with you and your organization this year? Well, um, absolutely. As, as, I, as I mentioned before, continue pushing and continue pushing hard to grow your own business as a partner, to grow your own company, to embrace the new technologies, to embrace every new opportunity. And then at the same time, ask for help. We are here to help. We are truly believers in partnering and working together in order to make the progress. And then on the personal side, please, everybody in the audience today, um, take care of yourself. Things are still, I mean, this is not over yet. We've got to be careful. You know, unfortunately, we still see many cases happening and, and you know, has been a, a big drama for all of us. Please continue trying to stay healthy, stay safe. And I'm super sure that we are a few months away of being completely over. But please, take care of you, of your loved ones, and try to keep the things running and moving and count on Microsoft and count on me if we can help anyhow. Those are my, my closing comments, Vince. Carlos, that's great advice for our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for being so generous with your time on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Thank you so much. And congratulations again for all the serious things. And hey, happy to talk to you. And I'm here for you. Take care. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.